Hello listeners, we're coming today with sad news which you probably saw over the weekend that the kick is in fact not good. Hit that theme. Hello, listeners. Yes, welcome. A uh, column with the intro, a, a rare column intro. After a few weeks of not being here, he's decided to turn up uh, and come to work with with an intro. Uh, we are down Tom currently at the moment, uh, so we have he may join us later. We do not know. But Colm, ha- how are you? How have you been? I am well, thank you very much. Went to the wedding reception today of my dear friend Rob Gibman, uh, who you are familiar with. Yes, I'm familiar with Rob. Congratulations, Robert. Congratulations, Robert. I don't think he listens to the podcast. Uh, that rat bastard. Um, but go fuck yourself, Rob. Again. I hope you have yeah. a lovely. Hope you have a lovely wedding. But uh, go fuck yourself. Yeah, we're currently, <laughs> as you said. You, as we currently said, we're currently without Tom. Uh, that is because he is currently battling my mortal enemy. So it's good to have an ally in this fight. <laughs> I think the fun part is you were the last. You may have been the last one of us to see Tom, considering you spent Sunday watching the opening of the football season with him. Uh, yeah. Now he's disappeared under mysterious circumstances. Uh, would you like Indeed. to explain yourself? Um. Yeah, he made fun of the way Trey Lance threw the football, so naturally he had to die. Uh, well, uh, watch out, Mike <laughs> Martz, because Colm is coming for you. Uh, <laughs> right, uh, with Tom not being here unexpectedly at the last minute, we have got to throw things uh, around. Uh, so we're going to get started with uh, just jump straight in to the games, week one. So probably all you want to hear about, all we want to talk about. Any news related to the teams involved in the games will be brought up after we run through the games and have some points. Uh, so yes, Colin, we're going to start with our uh, my New York footballing giants versus the uh, Tennessee Titans. And I don't want to be overreactionary after a week one game, but fuck it, we're going to the Super Bowl, baby! Woohoo! <laughs> What a week to be a Giants fan. It was ugly. It was the Philadelphia You guys had a mascot, good week. But boy, boy, was it exciting. Uh, Gr- the Gritty. Titans... Gritty is his name. <laughs> yes, that, thank you. That was the indeed the joke. Uh, and welcome, Tom. Oh, I, I, I thought you minutes. just meant it was that ugly. Because that mascot is also <laughs> extremely ugly. <laughs> it's got a certain charm to it. Um, yeah, the Titans were up. 13 zip at the half. A Dontrell Hilliard touchdown and a pair of Randy Bullock field goals were enough to put them ahead as the Giants flashed moments of offensive quality. Uh, but multiple big sacks and fumbles from Daniel Jones at key opportunities uh, just killed drives, which very much felt like a continuation of 2021. Um, the defense did well to hold the Titans to those field goals, but they also gave up uh, big penalties and big chunk plays throughout the game which would follow them into the second half and set up the game's conclusion. But more on that in a moment. Uh, the second half, the Titans start with a three and out due to Derek, Hum- Derek Henry fumbling a direct snap on third and short. And the Titans fucking up on third and short is going to be a theme of this game. Uh, the 
Giants then open their second half with a Saquon Barkley 68-yard run down the left sideline as memories of 2017 came flooding back to me. Uh, a pair of Matt Breeder runs in 2023, which is a weird thing to say, uh, and apparently set up a four-yard touchdown for uh, Barkley, uh, and then the Giants mess up the snap on the extra point, so we only take six points away. We can't have everything. Uh, we force another three and out. This time, Hilliard dropping a pass. He would have converted for a first down. Then Daniel Jones unloads to Sterling Shepard uh, for a 60-yard touchdown. We hit the extra point, tie the game. The Titans respond with a big touchdown drive to Hilliard, who was picking on the linebackers, especially Tay Crowder, all day. They had three 20-plus yard plays while targeting the, uh, on this drive, uh, which really just took the wind out the sails a bit. Uh, we exchanged a few punts, but then the Titans, and I don't know whether it's just the, when people face the Giants, there is some sort of debuff that the punt returner gets, but he just muffs an easy punt. The Giants recover at the Titans' 11-yard line, uh, and then in a weird, it, just everything that was pretty much, again, 2021 Giants, uh, two run plays went absolutely nowhere. And then Daniel Jones eyes down Saquon Barkley in the end zone so hard that even I read the play from the snap. So you can imagine that Amani Hooker knew exactly what was going to go on as well. And he did. And so he stepped in and picked it off. Um, we uh, From there, the Giants force another punt because the Titans, for some reason, play a tight end end around on a third and one, which I think is column. That's your playbook in any game where you can design plays. It is indeed. <laughs> uh, and then we got the ball back on our own 27 with 527 to play. Uh, small plays into a Barkley 33-yard rush, but he fumbles it, but it goes out of bounds. Uh, we then convert a fourth down on, on a Daniel Jones keep, which is something that I think you've heard me campaign for them to do for years uh, we get down to the one yard line on a run, we fake to Barkley, throw to the tight end and fuck it, instead of going for the tie, big dick Brian DeBull is in charge and we're going for two and to win the game uh, he calls a shovel pass to Barkley that has no right in actually making it into the end zone yet two Titans defenders just crash into each other and that gives Barkley the space to make the dive into the end zone uh, the Giants, with 106 to play, uh, the DB Darnay Holmes gives up a holding penalty and then follows that up by giving away a 21-yard completion. That sets up the field goal position, short kneel down onto the right hash to set up for Randy Bullock, and Bullock hooks it left, and the Giants win on opening day for the first time in six years, and oh boy, did it take everything in me to not scream the house down at half 12 on, on what is coming on Monday morning boys Co did you catch any of this and Col Tom, welcome. Colum, thank you, thank you. Colum, do you want to go first eviscerating Brad's joy or shall I? One thing I'll say that's quite remarkable from my perspective anyway was like that pick you talked about I also read it immediately and went <laughs> just don't throw it like he's clearly covered no, don't throw no, that don't throw that don't throw it. It. and then he did and then you see on the sideline Dayball chewing out Daniel Jones, and I think for ninety percent of teams they fold at that point. The fact that the Giants didn't is pretty remarkable in itself, but it's never normally a good sign when the the head coach is you know visibly chewing out the QB. And yet 
you know, fair play to the Giants for carrying on and sticking in the game. Yeah, it, it, there is even a part of me when we went for that two point. I was like, we're gonna get down the field and go for it and fuck it up somehow, uh, and we didn't, and it was great. Tom, yes, uh, how would you like to kill my joke? <laughs> So there is the statistic that I like called adjusted net yardage per attempt, right? And you can do it for the offense and for the defense. And it largely um, sort of assesses passing attacks um, from teams. And I will always caveat this early season saying that you you really can't get much data from it until sort of week four, week five, because or else outliers, outliers play far too much of a part in the numbers. However... <laughs> um, a a larger defensive adjusted net yardage per attempt number is worse if you think that you're giving up more yards per attempt um, and the Giants on opening week had the fourth highest number at nine the only teams with worse were Vegas, Green Bay and the Cardinals um, nine would rank bottom by a, a, a solid 1.4 Compared, like if it was on last year's over a full season, um, the worst team last season was the Baltimore Ravens, who obviously were starting essentially high schoolers at defensive backs. However, <laughs> and if if you want to believe any sort of numbers on this, the offensive adjusted net yardage per attempt is five point eight one, which was about middle of the pack for week one, um, but actually is a distinct increase on what their number was over the course of the entire season last year um, where it was 4.11 so they, they, the offense if you're choosing to believe this number is better um, the defense it looks way way out and I think what I'm going to take from these numbers is that the Giants aren't as bad as these numbers indicate but I think if you play this game five times they probably lose it four times out of the five because there's just a lot of numbers there's a lot of plays there's the Derek Henry botch there's the you know all those little things that add up <laughs> to a win and we're going to talk about yes. quite a few of those games where that happened this week because week one's a mystical beast but yes all well and good for a win just don't make it a habit you know <laughs> like you don't oh, you, know, you no, really don't want no. to win we, more we, than four games I I can't handle 18 weeks of that. Like <laughs> Even on the bye week, I'll be stressing about how we're going to lose. You are forgetting a, f a few things, though, Tom, that, that are quite important. Um, one, the Giants get a massive uh, buff to their defense when they enter the playoffs. We cannot explain it. It just, is ha it just happens every single time. Uh, and two, we play in the NFC East, which, for reasons we'll get into later, is categorically what? weaker why, than it why was Why are you talking about the playoffs? Ago. Why, why um, are you mentioning this? We're going to the Super Bowl, baby. Uh, did you not catch on? <laughs> Brad, can I ask you about the upcoming games for Giants? So, the next three no, weeks. Let's focus on you this have... game that we've won, Colum. I want to talk about the one where we've won it. Well, so, the next three weeks, you've got the Panthers, then the Cowboys, then the Bears. Now, I think most people's power rankings before week one would have put the Titans above all three of those teams particularly once you consider that Dak is out. How do you assess your chances over those next three weeks? Uh, well, we'll still be on course for the first 17-0 uh, regular season in history. And <laughs> I think we've got a great chance. You know, you go 4-0, it's easy. Uh, I love it. You're, <laughs> you're trying to nullify hope with sarcasm. <laughs> I... 
We're, we'll, we'll, at worst, we'll come out of those, you know, these first four weeks two and two. I think at this point, I, I think that there is a we're gonna win at least one of those other games, but they are, they are very winnable games. Each of those. Um, one thing that I will mention that's not Giants related. Uh, is that Derek Henry, Duntrell Hilliard, watch this progress over the course of the season because this could easily be another Zeke Elliott, Tony Pollard situation. And Henry didn't look overly destructive against what is a favorable linebacker matchup. When local beat reporters are clamoring to get Blake Martinez back onto the squad, <laughs> you know that there's favorable linebacker matchups. So... Yeah, just watch watch that uh, watch that space. Um, we'll we'll Tom. Now that you're here, you can uh, we can go from one whirlwind Homer game uh, to another. Would you like to walk us through uh, as best you can the Steelers Bengals experience? Uh, yeah, anything the New York Giants can do in terms of stroke inducing coma wanting NFL football, the Steelers can do better. Um, they managed to beat the Bengals in the jungle, apparently, 23-20 in overtime with the last play of overtime. Um, there really isn't a place to start with this. The Steelers' offense is anemic. Stop me if you've heard it before. Um, there are injuries now possibly all over the place, but the defense came to play for pretty much four quarter, five quarters. Um they gave up drives, they gave up plays, which is what's going to happen when you're against Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow. Their offensive line clearly hasn't gelled quite as much as they thought it would. Burrow was sacked seven times. He threw four picks. Um, T. Higgins left with a concussion is in the protocol. Joe Mixon couldn't really get anything on the ground. He got 82 yards, but he did it off 27 carries. Um this was exactly how the Steelers had to win games last year, and it's exactly how they're going to have to win the games this year. Um, they're going to have to do it without TJ Watt for an amount of time. He came off the field telling medical staff he had torn his pec. Um, it looks like he has torn it, but not torn the ligament, so it's unlikely he needs surgery, and it could be like a six-week recovery. Um, I'm not certain. <laughs> when when TJ Watt comes off the field immediately doing that, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we've seen him for the last time this year just because that's how bodies go and this this team isn't doing anything this year so why risk you know the reigning defensive player of the year for a, for a chance to get two or three more wins like I'm, I'm just not sure I see it. Um, the play calling in this game from Matt Canada was spotty at best. The two or three best plays were all like absolute designed shots and then everything else didn't work. Um, however, and the thing that you will often find with this team when it's healthy, Mitchell Trubisky didn't turn the ball over and therefore the Steelers won. Um, 17 of their 23 points came off of turnovers um, and I haven't even got into the kicker debacle that happened throughout the entire game. Um the Bengals had a chance to win it with literally seconds left. Um, a dodgy snap meant that it was uh, blocked by Minka Fitzpatrick. Then in overtime, Steelers win the toss, get the ball, basically do nothing with it. Then Evan McPherson skews one from about 30 yards off to the left. 
Um, and then the Steelers get the ball back again. And, and eventually, Chris Boswell, who missed a field goal earlier in overtime, um, gets to put it right as time expires for the win. Are there any questions about these two teams? Um, because I feel like I could have talked for two hours about this game and not even come <laughs> close to the emotions I felt during it. I have one question. How far into the season before Steelers fans adopt the Sheila Brovklovsky Blame Canada anthem uh, for all of your offensive woes? It won't be long. It really won't be long. The offensive line gets no push in the running game. The hope is behind that that it's because it's a new offensive line coach and it's a new scheme. And so within a month, hopefully they're picking it up because it's the third O-line coach they've had in three years. Um but yeah, <laughs> if he keeps pulling out these bag of tricks plays that work, then fair enough. Like the handoff into an end around into a flea flicker, that was pretty impressive. That went down the right side to Pat Fry. Column, write that one down. Write that one down. <laughs> um, oh, don't worry, I heard enough about it on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, it's, it just for some reason, Red Zone never replayed it. They ne- they never showed that play on Red Zone, and it felt like a very Red Zone worthy play. But it is what it is. Um, Burrow is still great, right? Like, Burrow's going to catch a lot of shit for this game, and he really shouldn't. Um, the Bengals are doing all sorts of tip-in-their-hand shit. Um, they ran a bunch of plays from under center, and I think the stat I saw was 86% of times that Burrow was under center, it was a run. And it's like, maybe you're just putting that on tape so that in three weeks' time you can run play action from under center and, and whatever. But still, that's that's significant. That's a huge number. Um, Jamar Chase is, is a class act he was running free through I mean, every part of the defence of the Steelers, he almost had an incredible catch um, but he failed to get his foot in and he did actually have a game winning catch um, that should have been a touchdown, wasn't ruled a touchdown on the field and wasn't reviewed by the Bengals and as such was never called a touchdown but um, I guess that's what happens when you have Zach Taylor as your head coach one follow-up question, Tom, from what you said in the column, I'll throw it over to you. Uh, you said that under centre, they're just putting it on tape near the run and tipping the hand. Uh, do you think Joe Burrow was just putting on tape those interceptions? Or... <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> I, they weren't good. But the Steelers' defence got after him. Um, and I, he didn't play in the in the regular sorry in the preseason at all. I guess you could put it down to rust. I, who knows, right? There's a lot there, but it, I'm gonna say it a lot this year, but or at least this podcast. But like the Saints beat the Packers by like 45 points week one last year. The Steelers beat the Bills for like week one last year. You know, it, you we're doing a podcast on it, but you cannot sort of. You cannot take. Um, how how can I phrase this? You cannot take little enough away from week one, in terms of like, <laughs> conclusions, because whatever you say now is going to be wrong in a month. Well, in that case, uh, the Bengals invested a lot of money in that O line, and in the first game they give up seven sacks, eleven QB <laughs> hits. Oh yeah, Cam 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 Haywood w- welcomed their rookie left guard to uh, to the NFL in a real bad way. Alex Highsmith leads the leagues in sacks. It's it's a great time, other than TJ Watt <laughs> exploding. Uh, and don't forget, Cam Haywood got injured in this game as well, right? 
Um, he did. I, there's nothing about him on the injury report, so I'm expecting him to be okay. Um, Najee Harris is the other guy who has a foot injury that is linked to the foot injury he had in preseason. Surprise, surprise. They're playing it down. He's saying to like Adam Shine and stuff that he's going to play. Um, get ready to see a healthy dose of Jalen Sorry, Jalen Warren, who I think I'm trying to I'm trying to come up with a uh, a kind of comparison. But he he's the guy that I think you might want when the offensive line is bad because he's just going to run straight forward and get you three to. He, in fact, he's Saquon Barkley and whoever his replacement was like a year ago. Wayne Goldman. There you How go. dare you forget the name <laughs> Wayne Goldman? So like obviously Barkley is a better running back than Wayne Goldman, but with the bad offensive line, stop jumping around, stop trying to get the one cut, hit the hole, like just run into the back of your center and push him forward three yards, and we can all learn move on how with our to lives. fall forward. <laughs> Great. Uh, Colm, questions from you for, for Tom? Yeah, so how clutch is clutch when it takes two attempts to kick a game-winning field goal? But did he, did he kick the <laughs> game-winning field goal? Uh, he, he made 50% of his game-winning field goal kicks, exactly. yes. And the, and the game-winner was from further away, I believe, than the one he missed, so he was just proving he's more clutch okay. later. That was the idea. <laughs> Uh, it should also be noted that the Bengals lost T. Higgins to concussion protocol in this game. Obviously, I did. No... I did mention that. Oh, so so. But there was a oh, lot. There's a lot. Also, the Deontay Johnson one-handed catch on the sideline to prolong the overtime drive is fucking ridiculous. But <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> cool. We had two absolute barn burners uh, for our homer games to start off with. Colm, you had the absolute opposite. You had uh, I don't know what like. A barn soaker? Damp squib? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think damp truly covers it. Uh, take us through the 49ers at the Bears in monsoon season. Sure. So this was obviously Trey Lance's first start as the official starter for the 49ers. And it was a game the 49ers were largely expected to win, just based on you know roster strengths. And whilst they started positively in the first half, the defense in particular for the 49ers did a really good job of keeping uh, Justin Fields very quiet. The second half was a completely different story. The defense continued for the 49ers to give up third down penalties on third down when they were actually getting off the field to extend drives, busting coverages. And meanwhile, the 49ers offensive line were, you know, Swiss cheese, a lot of pressure on Trey Lance and... The result being that despite taking a 10-0 lead, the 49ers gave up three consecutive touchdowns uh, to lose 19-10. to Obviously, a lot of questions for the 49ers. You know, this was meant to be a game they were going to win. And the looming figure of Jimmy Garoppolo on the bench still seems to be, uh, you know, a, a big talking point. And questions about whether Trey, you know, should be benched for him. Obviously, that's week one talk. I think a lot of people are saying that's hyperbole. He didn't play well. He left, you know, plays on the field. His play wasn't the sole problem. And as I think I discussed before week one, there's a lot of other question marks for this team, particularly the offensive line, which gave up 11 pressures, I think it was, total. Uh, Trey Lance was pressured on 35% of his dropbacks, despite the fact that the Bears blitzed zero times, which tells you a lot about the quality of that offensive line. Even Trent Williams was having trouble. He had two false start penalties against him. In total, I, I think my total summation of this game is 
the Bears didn't beat the 49ers as much as the 49ers beat the 49ers. They gave up 12 penalties in total for 99 yards, two turnovers, um, you know, and that just made the game very difficult for them. When they had to put the game in Trey's hands to throw the ball, it was at that point the heaviest rain and it became impossible to do. They probably should have, you know, they could have easily have been up quite, you know, by quite a large margin going into the halftime. They left chances on the field, as I said, and that's largely the reason why they lost. All credit to the Bears for performing better than people expected and, you know, not getting down too hard, despite the fact that they started very slowly in that first half. You know, um, there's a great play, you know, by uh, Justin Fields where he's under pressure, rolls out to his left, and then looks crossfield to see Dante Pettis has been left wide open, throws what probably well twenty yards downfield and across the field as well. So whatever distance that play was to find Dante Pettis and to get into the end zone, um, you know, great pressure by the defense as well to put Trey Lance under so much pressure, particularly without blitzing. Um, but I think the 49ers will come away saying that's a game they should have won, and the Bears will come away saying we're better than you all gave us credit for. I have a serious issue with how this game was called. Um, And it it comes down to a lot of factors. Um, But one is Shanahan gets a lot of credit for being this innovative, one of those. Innovative. But but also an innovative um, play caller. Um, I'll I'll set the scene. Okay. The score is 10-7 to the 49ers. It, uh, it is one thirty-seven left in the third quarter, so basically the fourth quarter. It's fourth and one, and the San Francisco 49ers are on their own 41, and they punt. You hated this moment. I, yeah, I, you hated I, that I do moment. not understand it. You went out, you got your rookie QB, who is by all means a better running threat right now than he is a passing threat. Um, the ground is awful. You can't be certain like what's going to happen on defense what actually happened was the bears went 10 plays 84 yards and scored a touchdown after this punt by the way um you you're supposed to be a god that can scheme anybody open and can scheme. it's a fucking yard grow some balls become exciting and go and don't be scared to lose the game you're three points up well you know you literally have the worst case scenario after punting the ball away regardless so just go for it and put some actual fucking faith in your qb i just i cannot understand it if that's the ravens they go for it if that's the Chargers, they go for it if that's like you're behind the vikings in ballsiness right now how does that feel yeah, and one of the weird things, I'm not sure uh, Shanahan would have called uh, a, a play there if Jimmy was the QB, but if he does, he calls a QB sneak. And cause that, he, he loved calling QB sneaks with, you know, minimal distance to go because th- that seemed to be automatic for Jimmy Garoppolo. But why he didn't think that Trey Lance could, you know, I, run a QB sneak, I'm problem. not sure. Why not, do, why, why not just run Trent Williams at someone like you did... This, uh, in the divisional game. This team is not the same team when it has Trey Lance at quarterback. It has to operate in a completely different way because Jimmy Garoppolo was all about not beating yourselves. And you've already talked about the penalties and, and, and I can't obviously put all of that just on Trey Lance and just on, on Shanahan. But you, you have to... You have to operate this team as if you know Lance is going to throw a killer pick or two every game or or a fumble or, you know, you are going to be put into bad situations routinely. So you have to make the most of the possessions when you have them. And fourth and one in, okay, 
you are in your own half, but not by a whole lot. It's like you you gotta go for that. You you cannot live in your fears just because it's a like a bit wet. <laughs> All right, it's fairly wet. Yeah, but you, like just because you've got a lead, like most good teams and most good head coaches are going for it in that situation. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree. Well, the only thing I'm going to disagree with there is there are head coaches that won't go for it. And we're going to talk about a couple of them a little later on. I I also said most good head coaches. I appreciate that. Uh, Tom, you mentioned them. We'll move on now to some of the big games, uh, the 9pm slate, big teams and big results. Uh, You mentioned the Vikings and they have some cojones uh, with Kevin O'Connell. Do you want to walk us through that one? Yeah, so the Minnesota Vikings beat the Green Bay Packers 23-7. to um, And this was really not close for any period of time. Um, this probably should have been another seven-point um, kind of difference between the two. Um, in terms of like, things to take away from it, the Packers were, lo- were missing both starting tackles. And boy, did that show. Um, Aaron Rodgers had no time and when he did have time his bevy of rookie and undrafted wide receivers and Randall Cobb struggled to get open versus man zone or apparently people just laying in the ground it was a remarkable piece of evidence of just how much difference an offseason can make Um, the Packers were absolutely shitting on most teams last year with their pass attack and with about three minutes left in the game Jordan Love was throwing passes against prevent defense from Madden it is an unreal shake-up to something we kind of predicted Um, we are we might as well turn ourselves into the Kirk Cousins podcast at this point he was not perfect but he was good enough he was 23 of 32 for 277 and two touchdowns um, the uh, I've forgotten his first name rookie wide receiver Watson for the Packers um, Christian Watson yeah who was all story of hype coming out dropped a long touchdown on what was his first and uh, subsequently a penultimate target of the game um, he has come back and said he expects himself to make that play 100 times out of 100, etc, etc. But not getting another target all game kind of indicates where Aaron Rodgers was with that. He was five, seven yards clear of the defender and would have walked into the end zone. Um, Justin Jefferson was good before he was in a modern scheme that wasn't out of 1986. <laughs> um, he could be insane now in a, in a Rams-esque sort of attack with Kevin O'Connell. Um this is scary for everybody that isn't named Justin Jefferson or or follow the the Vikings. Um, if I, he stays healthy, if he stays healthy, go on. I am going to be unbearable in <laughs> thirteen weeks' time when what? I am not even banging. When I am just smashing the shit out of the Jefferson for MVP drop. <laughs> um, just, just be ready for that. The this this Green Bay team in this current iteration without wide receivers being able to separate are very almost a run first team and they're going to try and they, they are essentially going to be the 2021 Browns um, which is a worrying statement to make but they're going to run the ball try and create play action off of that and get people open that way um, Aaron Rodgers is obviously better than Baker Bayfield but the offense in general I'm not sure it is this was another sort of AJ Dillon come to the party game. Um, Aaron Jones looked 
some I, I would say more explosive in space than Dylan, but that's obviously not Dylan's game. Um, Edge Dylan had ten carries to Aaron Jones's five. He also led the team in res- in receptions with five. Um, yeah, this as we've thought for a while is going to be AJ Dillon's team by about week six. I just I think I'm surprised by how unbalanced the usage is, considering what they did with Aaron Jones in in terms of paying him this off season. Um, Justin Jefferson had no receptions versus Jair Alexander. That was sort of a talking point after the game. Um, I don't think he even had a target versus Jair Alexander, um, or, or at least an official one. He did have one down the left sideline, but it was called back for offensive pass interference. So it's not a statistic in the book, but it, it did sort of happen. Um, but there are numerous stills of Justin Jefferson lined up in the slot against linebackers. And it's like... Uh, it doesn't feel like they really needed to do much to get in there either. They just sort of broke the huddle and he went to the slot. And it was like, yeah, that, that, that might be something to look at on tape. His um, first touchdown was literally just, oh, he comes across in motion and no, no one followed Justin yeah, Jefferson. Yeah. yeah. What, what, fourth and one, no, no one followed him. And he just walks into the end zone. Like, oh, of yeah, course. Cool. This is what it's going to be like all day. Great. Um, Harrison Smith might be back to his best. He had a pick in this game, and I think maybe a sack as well, but was just always around the ball coming downhill. Um, I've been quite critical of him over the last couple of years. I still don't think he's ever going to get back to like the peak Harrison Smith, but if you can get 80% of him you know, three, three or four years on, then that's going to do this defensive world of good. Um, this was a, the lesser-spotted edge revenge game for Zadarius Smith who came in and just wrecked house on a basically a bunch of guys that won't have a job in a month. Um, so that must have felt good for him. Um, yeah. Again, to keep going back to it, it's week one, right? And the Packers had a slow start last year. But if, you, if I had to sign up to watching one of these two teams every week for the rest of the season, it would be the Vikings over the Packers, and I wouldn't have to think very long about it either. Yeah, the Vikings play the Eagles and the Lions next. Could be another. Justin Jefferson could be at 600 yards by week three. <laughs> very, very possible. Uh, Colin, any questions from your side or, or any takeaways from the game? No, I don't think I do with this one. Um, yeah, I think you've covered most of most of my favourite points. Lovely stuff. In which case, we shall move on to the uh, one of the other nine o'clock games, uh, which is the Chiefs versus uh, the Cardinals. Uh, a beatdown, a walloping, a battering, a shellacking by any other name is a shellacking all the same. And oh boy, <laughs> did the Chiefs shellack the Cardinals. Uh, this was done and dusted by the third quarter. The Chiefs killed the Cardinals uh, with a thousand cuts. Everyone comes into the game expecting this 40, 50 yard bomb, big play offense. And Mahomes just diagnoses the play uh, and the read, takes four to seven yards, keeps moving it, and then occasionally will throw a big play if he feels like it, uh, which apparently isn't good enough for some football metrics. Uh, McCall Hardman, I will say, is about a step too slow for the kind of stuff that Tyreek used to do. There were like two, three passes where. uh, Mahomes just you know led him by like a two three yards, um, which we would have expected Tyreek to be on the end of. Uh, Mahomes, thirty for thirty nine, three hundred and sixty yards, five touchdowns, and is resting with half of the fourth quarter to go. How anyone had anyone else 
having a better performance him having like how how anyone had a any other QB having a better performance than him this weekend is bollocks uh, <laughs> overall uh, on the reverse side of that why the hell is every coach neutering their dynamic QB and trying to make them pocket passes the Ravens did it with Jackson this weekend and I'll get to that later on uh, but here Kyler rushed it just five times while he was getting pressured all day and the best that he looked like was when he was actually on the move uh, and using his legs to extend plays and make him run and they just dialed up none of that uh, full credit for Justin Reed the safety for coming in and kicking in place of an injured Harrison Butker for extra points but also full credit to Harrison Butker for coming back into the game to kick a 54 yard field goal on a two step walk up <laughs> like the amount of power in that leg uh, and what I will say and Tom you kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier uh, the Chiefs are better at running a Carl Shanahan system offense than Carl Shanahan is uh, and Juju Smith-Schuster is probably on the worst deal in football because he should be getting a lot more money for what he's going to bring to this offense uh, you know I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and not say I told you so too much about Juju Smith-Schuster this season but it's going to be really difficult if he can stay healthy and he's just going to be that third down option for them, he's going to be, yeah, he's going to be such an underrated uh, pickup uh, overall. Did either of you catch his game? Catch his game? Any questions? Any anything you want to know about or well, any it was, takeaways? It, it was the one that was sort of cut to a lot on red zone, but they never really showed much other than the scores because you know it, it got out of hand real, real quickly. Um, there was a question it looked like Marquise Brown was used a lot more kind of intermediate sort of 15 to 20 yards than he was just run really deep and hope for the best uh, um, did my eyes lie to me or was that the case no he seemed to be doing a lot of that and the rest of the way was picked up by guys uh, Greg Dortch was actually the leading receiver for the Cardinals but it did seem like they were trying to do a lot more, you know, with the with the mid to deep stuff with Marquise Brown. He did have follow up on that. Do you reckon? Do you reckon that'll switch when Hopkins comes back? Because Hopkins, yes. though he can run deep, he's not going to be the typical. So you think he's just filling? He's just filling in literally the X receiver until um. Yeah, he's filling yeah. in, and then Brown will switch to what was the Christian Kirk role. For sure. <laughs> Column, anything uh, bad? If not, well, well I, you kind of alluded to what I wanted to say, which was this is my shellacking of the week. Tom, hit the hit the noise. Hit the nudes. What? Hit the nudes. The forty-four score was uh, very generous to Brad. To Brad, I'm just looking at the box score here. It says Chad Henney has a fumble. When did that happen? Uh, I assume on a fucked up handoff at some point when uh, late in the fourth. Right, because he didn't uh, attempt to pass, which is what threw me. So I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know he was in the yeah. game. Yeah, there was a moment where I mean Mahomes was on like handoff duty for a bit, and then they just said we should put Henny in there just to be sure. Right. And okay. I assume, so- <laughs> I assume something happened while they were passing it off to the fourth choice running back or whatever. <laughs> yeah, sure. Just when you see Chad Henny in the box score for a fumble, and yet. He's not recorded this like doing anything else. I was wondering if there was some <laughs> epic trick play. No, Colm, take us through the AFC West clash that was the Raiders at the Chargers. 
Yeah, this one was a 24-19 win for the Chargers. The Chargers got out to a, a, a relatively comfortable lead and then I won't say went on to cruise control, but I don't think you know necessarily entered their highest gear to try and kick on. Their, their defense did a tremendous job uh, constantly putting Derek Carr under pressure. I believe they sacked him six times in the game, picked him off three times, and you know, generally made their day a misery. I'm sorry, I think they may have sat Carr five times and Devontae Adams once. Um, Khalil Mack is back to looking like the Khalil Mack we thought um, was a steal when he was traded for two first-rounders uh, from the Raiders. Um, you know, he like, he had three sacks on the game uh, and just looked revitalized there. Justin Herbert had a fantastic game. He finished with a passer rating of 129. Uh, through for three touchdowns and this is despite the fact that uh, Keenan Allen went out of the game quite early and he also had some sort of passionate dislike for Mike Williams this game on your Here's just touch- like on your Herbert note um, Brad when, when you say Mahomes like must have played the best of any QB he, he may well have done but Justin Herbert made routinely the best throws this week some of his passes this week are, are out of this world yeah but you know what's great QB play <laughs> Go on. Not having not having to make big difficult passes all the time because you <laughs> understand the game of football. And no, sure, I, I understand. I'm just, I'm just making. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying on a, on a on a different metric. Like if you want to pose the question a different way. Um, yeah. Yeah. Go who on. who Go filled on. up the highlight reel? Herbert. Who played the best game? Mahomes. <laughs> yeah. Um, just to carry on my point. Herbert completed passes to nine separate players, including touchdowns to. Gerald Everett, uh, DeAndre Carter, a seventh round uh, rookie, I believe. Oh, no, sorry. Um, sorry, DeAndre Carter wasn't the rookie. But seventh round rookie Xander Horvath, the fullback, also caught a touchdown pass, which goes to establish a point I've long believed, which is that Justin Herbert does not care about your fantasy team and will not throw to your favorite targets, uh, despite the fact that they are the obvious ones for him to throw to. All in all, this. The, the scoreline, I think, looks closer than the game was. The Chargers seem like the team that we expect them to be contenders for the West. The Raiders seemed like a team which perhaps we gave slightly too much credit for. Um, you know, because they were perhaps one of the sneaky picks to try and win the West. That probably might... It's probably a bit harsh just after a one-week game against a very good defense. But still worth noting, I think. Uh, do you guys have any questions for me at all? Uh, Derek Carr threw three picks. How much of that is on Derek Carr and how much of that is on the fact that their offensive line is really not very good? Um, I'm going to say it's 50-50. <laughs> okay, thanks. Um, <laughs> yeah. And you're the you know, take yeah, ombudsman of this podcast. Are you? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Yes, he was under pressure for some of them, but also Derek Carr's at fault for throwing picks. He, he tried to like there, there was some very good takeaways by the defense like um uh I'm trying to think who picked off who who caught the pick uh which was thrown at Adams um name escapes me now but someone did a really good job jumping that route so credit mostly I suppose goes to defense but yeah pressure and some poor plays also contributed to them the, the guys with interceptions were Drew Tranquil Bryce Callahan and Asante Samuel if any of those names Samuel are. okay there you go thank you 
forgetting the name of Asante Samuel Jr. out of those three is like <laughs> feels like pretty difficult. It's like the big pick. Bryce Callahan sounds like the character from Draft Day. Uh, <laughs> As Bo Callahan, yes, you are. There right. you go. Drew Tranquil. Well, that's a top quality name. Uh, Colm, I want to know, based on this, how are the Chargers going to fuck it up this season? Uh, what they're going to do is they're going to feed Sony Michelle rather than feeding uh, Austin Eckler. Uh, and that's going to really stipend their run game. Looking at the box score, uh, that's an average difference of 0.9 yards from what a hefty 1.7 to a 2.6. I believe the, the, the actual answer you're looking for is Joshua Kelly, who averaged 5.3. Now, it was across <laughs> four carries, but it's still more <laughs> than the other two. Yeah, no, but it, it, is there... I saw that Herbert was under a lot of pressure, uh, or at least the, the, the Raiders generated a lot of pressure. Do you, do you think the O-line looked as crisp as it, as it could have? Certainly, yeah, they certainly could have played better, but Justin Herbert's the kind of quarterback that can play under pressure and perform at a high level. So I, I'm trying to think if that... I think that the... I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase it. I think the Raiders, you know... Uh, defense presented an, a league average amount of pressure. So, yes, that offensive line needs to play better, but to be honest, when you've got Justin Herbert there, you can kind of hide <laughs> some of that. Cool. Uh, we are six games down, nine to go. Uh, so... <laughs> We're already at the magic 45. Yeah, so let's, 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 let's get a mosey on. Uh, with, with a set of games I call, you have no right to be this interesting. Uh, it starts off with the Saints and the Falcons. Just take what I said last week. The Falcons, they're going to run an, the most unconventional offense we've seen in a while. It'll be great for five wins. And the Saints, a team that will surprise you, but you really shouldn't be surprised by. These two teams are exactly who I thought they were, and it made for a kind of great game to watch, but not really. Um, the Falcons were running at will. Uh, they came out like just super hot in this game. Cordero Patterson looked like the modern version of, of uh, Barry Sanders uh, or Bo Jackson. He was literally just, I will get, I will get the yards I want. I will get six, seven yards here. I will get first downs there. Uh, Marcus Mariota plays the quarterback position like he has no regard for his long-term health. The way he scrambles and just throws himself into defenders is is fun to watch uh but he also does miss some some key passes uh the falcons got after the saints early winston was unsettled and at one point in this game or maybe multiple points i was actually clamoring for more Taysom hill because Taysom hill had a 50 yard run in this game and he followed it up with an 11 yard touchdown run and you you have no idea how incredulous i was when i saw him <laughs> He he did some absolute business and for a while was the only thing on the Saints offense worth watching. It, it was a very weird moment. Uh, but in the fourth quarter, uh, Winston just flicks it on and starts absolutely dealing passes. Uh, throws a two touchdowns to Michael Thomas, including one where Thomas basically just takes it off the shoulder of AJ Terrell. It's beautiful. Uh, and throws an absolute dime ball to Jarvis Landry deep down the field on the left side. 40-yard reception. Weird moment, 
The refs don't call Landry down by contact. Uh, they call him out of bounds. So the Saints run up to snap it, uh, to, to spike it, sorry. They do so, and then they get a 10-yard penalty and a loss of down because uh, the, the, ball, the, the clock had stopped. So technically, they weren't allowed to spike it. Uh, it was very weird. Uh, they get a few short yardage uh, back, though. Will Lutz smashes the 51-yarder dead center to get them into the lead. Uh, the Falcons managed to get within range of a 63-yard field goal attempt. Uh, but unfortunately for them, it is blocked at the line. The Saints win. This game had, this game was a toughie to watch and then just got really exciting very quickly. Uh, did you catch any of this? Anything that you want to take away from the game? I uh, no, I only caught very little uh, of it. I'm afraid. Uh, I did see obviously the uh, the field goal attempt at the end, and also how this team was absolutely leaning on. Uh, Ku's foot for the yeah. entire game by the bases. He was pretty great. They could get chunk yardage and, and do some... They, the Colorado Patterson, as I say, had a really good run game, but yeah, you don't want to be... This Falcons team doesn't want to be behind in the game at any point if they can. Uh, this did have my highlight play of the week, though. Uh, in the third quarter, Colorado Patterson literally just sits a Saints linebacker down on his ass and then goes for another three, four yards. It's great. The linebacker comes up and he just goes, no, down, and goes ahead. It was, it was wonderful. Uh, Colm, you had Eagles and Lions, in which I believe was the highest scoring game of the week. And has thus been titled the barn burner of the week as well. <laughs> we don't have a drop. Uh, I was going to say, I don't have a bell for that, Colm. You didn't warn me. <laughs> yeah, this was uh, a game all about the run game. Um, I'll start by just saying I think Jared Goff was probably the best version of Jared Goff you can reasonably expect nowadays. Had a reasonable day passing the ball. Wasn't a lot of great deep attempts. But, you know, fa fairly reasonable West Coast dinking and diming kind of stuff. Uh, Jalen Hurts stormed it. He, I think, threw for 240-odd yards. Um, but was, you know, the team just dominated on the ground. Didn't he start? Um, didn't Hurt start like 0 for 7 or something? He did, yes. Was, was, that, um, was that like just good defense? Was that like throwing the ball away? Was that like screens that just went into the dirt? Like, talk, talk to me about that starting 0 for 7 because that's difficult. <laughs> um, I, th I think it was more bad receiver play than anything right, else. Okay. Um, it took a while for him to get a connection going with uh, uh, Brown. Uh, but once it was there, like that was his favorite target. I think Brown finished with 155 yards um, on 10 receptions. And uh, Devonta Smith, on the other hand, uh, was a fucking ghost throughout the entire game. Uh, but like I said, it was very much about the run game. Hertz ran 17 times himself for 90 yards. Sanders went uh, for 96 on 13 carries. And there were four different rushing uh, touchdowns for the Eagles. Um, on the other hand, for the Lions, um, yeah, Swift picked up 144 yards on his 15 carries uh, and then got snubbed by Williams twice at the goal line. Uh, yeah, a lot of rushing attack, a lot of big highlight plays coming on the ground. Um, that was a very good day, particularly for Jalen Hurts, I think, um, who, you know, he, he, he was under pressure quite a bit. 
did a good job throwing a ball away quite often, you know, uh, living for another day. Um, and was really kind of that playmaking quarterback who, you know, also is thinking quite intelligently about down and distance and, you know, not taking not taking the loss for the team if you're trying to, like, game manage that sort of situation. Fair play to the Lions for sticking in this. They were, you know, they, they were not expected to be competitive in this one and they were down by a decent margin at one point. I can't remember exactly what it was. Um, but they kept playing, they kept fighting and kept trying to get back into the game. And, you know, the, the, I think the result at the end is a fair reflection on a, a good battle by a team that were far behind. I think that's pretty comprehensive. Um, <laughs> I won't ask you any more questions because I think I think these two teams are, for different reasons, um, teams that we're kind of quite keen to at least keep our eyes on um, kind of going forwards. Um, so kind of for, for that reason, we'll leave some deeper questions for next week when we might have more answers on it. Um, I guess I will take us to the Jags versus the Commanders now, which I was very excited about taking in the draft last week. And <laughs> at about 20 past eight on Sunday night, I looked at Colm and I went, I don't think I want to watch this game back, you know. <laughs> but but it did. And um, I, I got some nuggets. Um, they weren't necessarily nice, but they were certainly chunky. Um, Washington Commanders end up winning this game 28-22. to Um the Jacksonville Jaguars probably could have won this about 40 to nothing and the Commanders probably could have won this about 40 to nothing such are these two teams looking down my list Lawrence times ETN equals downwards arrow is what I have um, <laughs> a lot of times they tried to do similar sort of plays to what they would have run at Clemson and it just didn't really come off ETM was charged with one drop, and to me it looked like he had at least three. Um, he's a fine runner. There were a couple of plays where he shook out of tackles and, and got sort of 10 to 15 yard gains, but he looks like a bit part player in the NFL, which is totally fine, but not great if you've spent a first round pick on him. Um, Wentz is as Wentz does. He was fine here for about the entire first half and then started throwing interceptions and being the Carson Wentz you knew. The throw, however, to Jahan Dotson for this for Dotson's second touchdown was a thing of beauty, um, which I'm sure, Brad, you've probably watched about 19 times, and none of those reasons were for Carson Wentz. <laughs> Just before, uh, while we were waiting for you to record, uh, I was watching the highlights of that, and I made several questionable noises the column heard. Uh, well, watch both of those touchdowns. Um, Washington's formations have got funky, which is not something I would have generally considered with Ron Riviera. They've um, started like pulling four men bunch formations, but tight. So they are like just off the line of scrimmage. And in that four, you've got like Curtis Samuel, Terry McLaurin, um, Antonio Gibson, and JD McKissick. And then you can throw in like Dotson or whatever. But it means when the formations come out, it's a two running back formation, which is, you know, generally you might play like split backs or you might have JD McKissick in the slot. But you don't expect all four of the skill positions players to line up tight on the left hand side of the QB. And that meant that they were just always getting like free releases on Antonio Gibson. And it, it was just some creative stuff that I don't think we've really seen that much in the NFL. Um, 
Uh, I've got Dotson played well and he flashed, but his stats do flatter him. He, he got two touchdowns off three receptions and five targets. Like that's <laughs> that's that's quite a lot of kind of not necessarily wasted air, but I don't know if he's going to have many more stat lines like that even in his career. Um, but but it is what it is. Like you take him and you run because you've obviously hit on a decent little player there, Carl. Uh, Brad. Um, Antonio Gibson's doghouse is like. Do you remember like Polly Pockets? How it, they, <laughs> they were they were small, but they like you opened them and it was like it's got a swimming pool and this part has a mansion attached to it and like that's Antonio Gibson's doghouse. It's still a doghouse, but he, he got fourteen carries and eight targets in this game. <laughs> wow. You're always one with the pop culture references there, aren't you? Tom? <laughs> you know it. You know it. I had to rack my brains for a suitable analogy there as well. Um, yeah, this is still the same Trevor Lawrence Warts. Um, throws the fastball when he should throw the like the, the change up. Um, doesn't sense pressure. Sticks in the pocket too long and then bails too early some other times. And then will throw miraculous passes every sort of five or six plays that you're like, how the fuck did you do that? I'm not calling him a bust. That would be way too early. But right now, he is way closer to Mac Jones than he is even on the same planet as Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert. And I think we need to take that for what it is, see how he is at the end of the season. But this offensive line did not look good again. Um, Cam Robinson gave up a a team-leading five pressures. Um, that is kind of as to be expected, but it's what I, you know, it's what we said in, the, in leading up to the draft. Is Trayvon Walker's like cool and all, and and flashy, and he had a pick in this game. But you have to protect Trevor Lawrence unless you don't see him as the future. But I mean, I'm sure they still do. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've got Jacksonville's passing game is as good as you expect when the people that Trevor Lawrence is throwing to are Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, Marvin Jones, and Evan Ingram. It is like a, a, a C minus at every single level. They'll make a play every now and again, but like, how are they winning this game? And the answer is third year undrafted running back, James Robinson. Ring the motherfucking bell because he came out in a huge way in this game after tearing his Achilles last year. Um, 11 carries, 66 yards, a touchdown. Um, also had two targets on the day. He looked fresh. He looked explosive. He looked like twice the running back that Travis Etienne is. Um, and, and the offense really is, is going to run through probably what he can create over the next couple of weeks because, as I say, that passing attack is leaving a lot to be desired. Um, I think that's kind of everything. These two teams... I, I, I was desperate for one of them to be interesting... I'm not completely shutting the door on the Jags, but I'm done watching the Commanders, and it's September the 13th. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful stuff. Right, Uh, we've got a few more games to get through. Speed through these if we can. Uh, And as I say that, I realise the next game up is the Browns versus the Panthers, which Tom had to watch. (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. I can do this. Um, Cleveland won this game 26-24 thanks to a... Uh, an official adjudicated and helping hand on a field goal that probably should have not stood because um, the eternal warrior that is Jacoby Brissett, who is tricking everyone into the fact that he still has an NFL job, 
um, fake spiked and then spiked the ball, which you're not allowed to do. Uh, this caused huge amounts of uproar because we all wanted to see Baker Mayfield crush the Browns. Um, the only thing that Baker Mayfield really did here was crush his chances of being the starting quarterback next season. Um, he was fine at times and abysmal at others. Um, Carolina's Christian McCaffrey usage, for those of you that have him in fantasy, is like when you load up Madden and just play with the preset offense. It has that one halfback screen and the rest is just runs up the middle and hope for the best. Um, I've got here, lol, Chubb good because he just ran through <laughs> everyone at certain stages of this game. Um, the, the entire offense for Carolina was appalling earlier. Miles Garrett had two sacks back-to-back. He was ruthless versus Iggy Okonu, the rookie tackle um, for the Panthers. The Carolina production on offense is basically based pure off of coverage busts, and Baker just hanging enough in there to hit Robbie Anderson over the top. Um, I wanted to dig into the average depth of target <laughs> numbers for Jacoby Brissett. Um, his total number per PFF was 7.7. I got a very rough 8.06, but I counted some plays that I assume they didn't. Um, Jacoby Brissett had a 34-yard attempt that ended up getting called for defensive pass interference, so I don't know if that's counted in the stats but that was the outlier as no other attempt was further than 15 yards. If you remove that total like toss, chuck and duck and hope, his number drops to 6.9 yards uh, average depth of target, which is 25th in the league for one week and 21st among QBs that drop back 32 and a half more times. Basically, this offense is fucking abysmal and Jacoby Brissett needs to not have this job by next week. Yes, but who would you bring in, Tom? Uh, who needs to bring in? They've got Josh Dobbs in the building. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> ignore everything you just heard, listeners. That is just purely <laughs> Josh Dobbs propaganda from from Tom, as per <laughs> usual. Um, Column, the Broncos versus the Seahawks, Monday Night Football. Yeah, I'm not sure how brief you can be on this one, but we'll give it a go. Um, yeah, Geno Smith... Um, was now obviously the the leading quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks and started really well. Uh, made some really nice off schedule plays, threw two touchdowns. Uh, I think it was on his first three drives, and uh, the Seahawks came out to a uh, a decent lead. Uh, they were at halftime. Uh, well, sorry, they they yeah halftime they were up thirteen to seventeen, and clung on for dear life uh, in the second half. Uh, Gino had, I think it was 190 odd yards passing, 160 of which came in the first half. Um, <laughs> that game got real conservative real fast. fever dream. <laughs> yeah. we, just, we just need to combine together a quarterback. If you can take first half Gino Smith and fourth quarter Baker Mayfield, Jameis Winston, try and work him out, you might be able to get one great quarterback out of the three yeah. of them. Quite remarkably, uh, the Broncos in their you know attempt to get back into it tw- uh, twice fumbled on the one yard line. Uh, first by Melvin Gordon, which for uh, you know Williams owners is great because that meant he was going to start getting some goal line work until the next drive when Williams fumbled on the one yard line Gordon and suddenly a, he was Gordon setting a poor example for for Javante. That's all that is, right? Uh, Javante, yeah, didn't yeah, yeah, yeah. He was just following the lead. Um. But there was a chance for them to get back into this game. Um, 
uh, you know, despite the two fumbles down there, uh, with a minute left, they were on uh, <laughs> they were on the fourth and five in Seattle's uh, territory, and first time head coach Nathaniel Hackett's decision was to, despite having three timeouts, run the clock all the way down, take a timeout, and try a 64 yard field goal. I think advanced metrics gave the Broncos about a 14% chance of hitting that. I think historically, about two out of, I think it was something like 40-odd attempts have been successful from that range. Um, this is obviously in contrast towards... Column as well on the kick. Yeah. No kickers in like the last like 10 years or something has kicked a field goal longer than 57 yards uh, in Seattle Stadium. So to add yeah. seven yards onto that... <laughs> To, 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 add, to add this most recent Nathaniel Hackett quote that broke about five minutes ago, looking back at it, we definitely should have gone for it. <laughs> well, you know, you have kickers for a reason. Obviously, it's to make clutch kicks. But when you've paid a quarterback $49 million a year, um, you, you must have a play which is high, more high probability of being converted on a fourth and five than making a uh, 64-yard field goal, right? Uh, You know, it was a bizarre decision considering, you know, (laughs) Russ has wanted to be able to be in charge of an offense for so long. You have, you know, you're in a situation, you've built around him, you've got all these playmakers. Throw the fucking football. Um, What did you make of... um... Pete Carroll's comments after the game as well. He says, part of Seattle's defensive game plan was to make Russell Wilson move to his left. When he moves to his left, it's hard for him numbers-wise. And then um, Keegan Abdu on Twitter um, tweeted out, Russ outside the tackle box to his left since 2021. 12 of 29, 177 yards, two interceptions, nine sacks, um, and minus 31.7 passing EPA, which is a stat that sort of... Um, the higher the positive, the better, and it's about um, effective points uh, added. I think so. It's about how effective a, a play is. Yeah, I interestingly, I don't think it's the first time I've heard that Russ struggles when he rolls out to his left. Uh, I, I feel like that's a, that's something I've heard being talked about by the analytics community for a couple of years. I suppose the interesting thing about uh, Carol coming out and saying that is, if you recently read the ESPN article about the situation, about, you know, the breakdown in the relationship between the Seahawks and Russell Wilson and what have you. All the quotes are about how people didn't think it was going to happen because Russell Wilson was a Pete Carroll guy and his Pete Carroll coming out and saying, yeah, fuck it, you don't know what he's doing when he's out to his left. (laughs) Yeah, this is very much, fuck you, we're going for a high draft pick, we're just going to have everyone flush you out to the left. Which, you know, it's a good... It's a good thing. Uh, Column, if I may, a couple of things to add on on this on this game. Um, the... I think legally Brad has to say seven nice things about Javante Williams each episode. <laughs> so I think that's what I was about to no, actually, uh, Broncos uh, Quinn Miners uh, was standing right guard. The Broncos were hammering it to the right hand side. Miners gets injured, uh, and his replacement I think gives up a sack. Uh, and gives up the tackle that eventually becomes the fumble as well. So uh, other Denver Broncos love uh, Tom. Uh, <laughs> right, I, I forgot about Quinn Miners. How could I? <laughs> well, now the hamstring and, and the Broncos uh, were worse because now they had to go towards the left. And I watched about. I think I got to the got to the maybe the start of the second half, and I think it, it was something like up until like 
seven, eight minutes, maybe nine minutes into the to the second quarter, uh, Russell Wilson hadn't thrown a pass to a wide receiver. Uh, I don't know whether that's a synergy issue or what, but like he just had no interest. Like he was just finding Andrew Beck, uh, Alba O, uh, the other one, uh, Mike, Eric Thompson. I think Mike Boone, the the third choice running back, had a target before one of Sutton, Judy, or KJ Hamler. It was very, very bizarre for a guy who effectively made it, made a great career out of throwing to two wide receivers in Seattle. Uh, so, yeah, interesting to see if that changes as well as, as the season progresses. Uh, with that done, uh, unless you have anything more to add, Tom, Colin. Nope. No, we've still got like three games to cover yet. Yeah, don't worry. Uh, I've got one that's in clear quickly, which is the Colts and Texans. Uh, the title I had for this part was I Hate These Teams. Uh, they literally cannot get out of their own way, neither of them. At one point, the Texans were ahead 20-3, to and this was turned back into a 20-20 tie, and the Texans settled for that tie every step of the way. Two big OJ Howard touchdowns, which bizarre uh, to see in 2022, and Kaimi Fairbairn field goals uh, gave them that lead. But they never pressed the Colts after getting that lead. Like they were playing to defend that 20 to 3 lead rather than playing to finish off the game because Matt Ryan did not look great. And the Colts overall did not look great. It was very much. Cool, Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman look just as good as they did last year, but everything else is up for debate. Um, Matt Ryan, uh, to go back to him, he had a, a wobbly start, doesn't describe it. He had four fumbles, uh, including multiple uh, sna uh, snap fumbles, uh, and he had 11 passes deflected on 50 attempts. If you're week one Colts, trying to make a playoff run, you do not want to have have your quarterback throw 50 times against the Texans. <laughs> um, yeah, they, they, the Texans went for big clock-chewing plays. The Colts, uh, in overtime, did manage to get a drive uh, to get it down into field goal range, which Rodrigo Blankenship missed. This after he had kicked two uh, kickoffs out of bounds. Uh, so big penalties there. So he's missed. He, I think it was a 43-yarder uh, wide left. He's now been cut after this game. Uh, the Texans got the ball back, but they settled for the tie. And I hate both of these teams. They are currently tied for the lead in the AFC South. Which is the worst part about all of this. Uh, Column. Let's take us to the last three games titled nicely The Dregs. Uh, Tampa Bay versus the Cowboys. Sure. So, um, obviously, Brady returns, despite the fact he retired during the offseason. I don't know if anyone picked up on that news story. Uh, there's also another news story about Tom Brady where he missed uh, part of training camp, kind of went under the radar. His game uh, on uh, Sunday night, if I could describe in a sound, was... Nah. <laughs> You know, um, certainly not terrible, but I think the most effective part about Tampa offense was the rushing attack. Fournette is a beast. Um, 
always has been, always will be a beast. I will never hear a bad word said about him, Tom. <laughs> uh, Mike Evans, effective, um, as was Julio Jones. Godwin came up uh, injured partway through the game. Turns out it's not super serious, but everyone's obviously slightly conservative of him due to the fact that he is coming off an ACL tear previous year as well. Uh, but the big story, I think, is just how putrid the, the Cowboys looked on offense. Managed only three points. Um, and, you know, Dak Prescott is now going to be out for an extended period of time due to a fraction near his thumb. Uh, this came late in the fourth quarter, uh, I believe it was. And they did not look good before this. <laughs> so, yeah, like, you, you've got concerns if you're Dallas. Uh, not only because you just lost your starting quarterback, but, you, you know, you're very faltering on offense. Buccaneers, I don't think they can take too much away from the game. Uh, Micah Parsons is, like, nailed on for finalist and defensive player of the year, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> with, with what injured uh, and not wanting to give it to, to Donald again, probably, yes. Uh, uh, sh- shall I go New England versus Miami? Yep. Uh, Miami won this one 20-7. to um, However, when I watched it back, I couldn't quite believe my eyes for the first drive. It was like old-school New England. Run the ball effectively and then just run like man-beaters, wait for single coverage and throw a seven-yard pass that ends up as a first down. Um, they got down the field with that and then Mac Jones threw a killer pick on a deep shot down the right sideline. It was a very nice defensive play from the Dolphins. One defensive back tapping it back to the other. Sort of similar to the Seahawks versus the 49ers in the NFC Championship game all those years ago. What are we looking at? 2014? 2012? Somewhere around there, wasn't it, Colin? Yeah, about that. Um, after that it got a... It just got messy. Tua missed um, an easy deep touchdown to Hill on basically his first play because of a bad snap. Um, the New England running game is feast or famine. I think it could do some real damage to some teams, but if um, apparently Matt Patricia wakes up and decides that he's going to call a different set of plays, I think they might struggle to break 50 yards in a game. Um, I, I just There's more questions about Tua's lack of arm strength. Like It just doesn't fit this offense. I figured it would be like a lot of shallow crosses and things like that, but they're still trying to go like downfield with him. And yet I am less infuriated with watching that than I am watching his flappy wrist fucking play sheet. He never closes it and it bugs the absolute living Christ out of me. I cannot explain like just how triggered I am of this. Um, the blitz timing for the Ingram scoop and score off the sack fumble of Mac Jones was a thing of beauty. Um, the tight end, who I think is probably supposed to stay in if they see a rush coming off that side, it's too late for him to notice it. And Mac Jones, it, it's it's he literally moves up to the line of scrimmage as Mac Jones takes his eyes off of surveying the defense and down to the center to snap like to call for the ball. It was just absolute perfection. Meant that there was no chance of that play being successful, and it ended up in a pick six. New England pass catches may not be the problem, but they're not the solution to this passing attack either. You'll be shocked to hear that when it contains guys like Nelson Aguilar. Um, there's no speed. There's no real toughness on this offense, especially like in the passing game. The tight ends are just nothing. Um, commentators are going to gas up Miami's speed a bunch, even when it doesn't apply. So just be ready for that if you ever have to watch the Dolphins play. Um, Tua and Miami seem to do just enough, but this is a classic wait-and-see team. I'm not impressed with Tua whatsoever. 
Okay, Brian Flores, just because he's now your <laughs> defensive assistant. You gotta take yeah. a side on everything. Uh, yeah, that's oh. exactly how I am. <laughs> uh, I mean, well, you're still campaigning for Josh Dobbs to get the starting job in Cleveland, so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe Brian Flores has any, ever said anything about Josh Dobbs. <laughs> Uh, I'll finish us up Ravens Jets uh, congrats to the Ravens for extending their unbeaten preseason run <laughs> really all there is much to say uh, the Ravens never really got out of third gear Lamar Jackson spent the game as a pocket passer uh, and enjoyed it Joe Flacco did not enjoy it on the other side of the ball Devin Duvernay had himself a day with two touchdowns uh, Rashad Bateman hauled in a big reception as well for the Jets, Michael Carter and Elijah Moore do have that game-breaking speed and just that pop in their hips and the adjustments they can make. But they are on an offense that is currently led by Joe Flacco, and that's not going to go well. It should be noted the Jets did not convert a third down until six minutes to go in the fourth quarter. <laughs> very, very poor. Uh, so yeah, that wraps us up for, for, for this week one. Uh big uh big set of games going into next week we've got double monday night football action uh do we want to do a game draft now or yeah quick one shall we go okay uh i believe we did cbt last week so it is btc this week uh for us uh so that means i get to go first and i will have a look at the games you know what? Uh, I'm just going to take Thursday night football. Give yeah, me... absolute, absolute shocker. Brad puts himself first when the best Thursday night football matchup we're ever going to see all season is on the slate. I am, I am not shocked at all by hey, his heel hey, turn. This is how it worked out last week. I'm uh, sure. Just randomly. Uh, I'm sure. It all fell my way. So, yeah, just looking. First game on the board, I just hit it go. Yeah, Chargers Chiefs, Mahomes, yeah. Herbert. Sure, I'll do that one. Uh, Tom, you're up next great because the rest of the board is not amazing <laughs> um i'm loath to do it but i'm going to let's take minnesota at philadelphia the second monday night football game Colin, you get two i will take yeah uh <laughs> i will take the panthers uh, against the Giants, and I will oh, also hi. take uh, the Patriots at Pittsburgh. <laughs> Are you just taking taking the teams from us? Which is fair enough. Tom, to you. <laughs> um, you have uh, to watch the games, Tom. <laughs> oh, do it! Oh. This this will be a quick match. Seattle versus San Fran. Yeah, it's just gonna get that. That, that the, the the game in forty on that might be about twenty five minutes. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna take Miami at Baltimore because that could be a fun game. It won't be. I'm telling you uh, right now. <laughs> the Dolphins are not a fun team to watch. Uh, and then I'm gonna take the Titans at Buffalo. Me again. Um, yes. Two games. 
I'm going to well, select... Well, you get one game now, and then come on. Yeah, I know, but there's only, there's only two I oh, really yeah. want. So I'm going to take Arizona at Vegas. You do not want that, I promise you. Uh, two 9pm oh. games. I haven't done myself any fucking favours, though. <laughs> um, Falcons, uh, Rams. Arse. And... <laughs> that was the other one. <laughs> Texans, Broncos. Um, let's go Tampa Bay versus the New Orleans Saints that's, that's got to be a good game <laughs> you say that with such confidence yeah. and I a lot of regret coming up I promise I'm going to go for uh, screw it. I'm going to take Washington at Detroit uh, Carson and... Wentz versus Jared Goff <laughs> In a game that I will not have to watch until late Tuesday evening, the Jets at the Browns. <laughs> One that you will forget to watch in it before, before we oh, record. I'm not even going to tune in. <laughs> I'm going to watch something completely else on Sunday night. Um, do I want to take Monday night football? <laughs> because you the alternatives... Can't. Both Monday. Oh, Sun, sorry, Sun, sorry, Sunday night football is as well as the game, but obviously it says Monday. Um, I'm not going to take 6 p.m. Indy versus the Jags, and that leaves column with Chicago at Green Bay and the Bengals at the Cowboys. <laughs> Nobody wanted to watch the Cowboys this week. Column has loaded up with a nine o'clock slate, and I think he's going to watch about two minutes of that Bengals Cowboys game. <laughs> So smart planning, smart planning. Right. With that done, we shall uh, see you all again next week. Remember to follow us at the Kick Is Up on Twitter. Uh, it's goodbye from me. Oh wait, that's where you I say. I love you. That's where you say um, goodbye from me. <laughs> I love you. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know if I need to say it again. Whatever. 